Now, Easter is late this year, but it always seems to come quickly, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it's just Easter, and happy Palm Sunday to you. I'd ask you to turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, as we look at hope rising Easter Holy Week in the Gospel of John this Holy Week. John 12, 1 through 8, and this is the Word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me with you. As we move into Holy Week this morning, I want to start with two scenes in the Bible. Two scenes. The, the first is Palm Sunday itself, the triumphal entry. And the second is a dinner party at Bethany. And the two scenes give us a very clear view into who Jesus really is and what kind of a king he wants to be to us. He's either one of two types of kings to us. He's either the king you want or the king you need. He's either the king you want or the king you need. This idea of the king you want comes from Palm Sunday. If you'll look right after our text in verse 12 of John 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had been done to him. And then we learn the reason that they're cheering. We learn what their motivation is for for this wild applause and, and reception of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. That is verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. In other words, when Jesus raised Lazarus, they went out and just told everybody that he had literally raised somebody from the dead. Lazarus. Verse 18. 
the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that he had they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, they said, the whole world has gone after him. It's funny, just a little aside, a few years ago, some of the more liberal scholars said the triumphal entry only had a handful of people that, you know, kind of loved Jesus. Yeah, right. The whole world has gone after him. They are there in mass after mass. And they are cheering because if he's got the power over death, I'm talking about death, nobody has the power over death. You can't reverse death. You can't, you can't overcome death. If he's got the power over death, he's got the power over anything and everything, including the Romans, including the occupiers, including those that have pushed down on the people of Israel for so long. Hosanna. You know what it means? It means save us now. It's a messianic thing. Come God, send your Messiah. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a quotation from the Psalms about the Messiah. They also shouted, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Obviously, about David's throne, the final throne, the power over all powers, the Messiah. And then, finally, blessed is the king of Israel. You understand what they're looking for in the triumphal entry? D.A. Carson says Jesus rode into Jerusalem as David or Solomon. Solomon might have entered the capital with branches and cloth spread on the road before him. He says kind of like a red carpet uh, put out for a dignitary at the airport today. Or palm or banana leaves in a village festival in the third world. It's what you did for royalty. Blessed is the king. This is the Messiah. This is the one with power. This is the one. In fact, the palm branch itself was the sign of national deliverance. They had coins that actually had a palm branch on it because that was the messianic sign of of deliverance for the Jews. Well, almost a hundred years before Palm Sunday... Something else very interesting happened in Jerusalem. The, uh, the Syrians had conquered Israel. The Syrians were the occupiers. This was not Rome. And the Jews rose up and kicked the Syrians out, cleansed the temple, and Judas Maccabeus was one of the primary leaders of that revolt. And uh, after the conquest and and pushing out the Syrians, reclaiming the temple, the Syrians, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, had sacrificed a pig on the high altar in Jerusalem. Not cool (laughs) for a Jewish person. After they had re-cleansed the temple, Judas Maccabeus uh, came riding into town. And you know what they said to Judas Maccabeus, who had kicked the Syrians out? Take a guess. Hosanna! (laughs) That's what they said. This is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they put their garments down. And they waved palm branches. Because He had delivered Israel. 
He gave them what they wanted, you see. But Jesus of Nazareth conquered death. If Judas Maccabeus and company can give us that, imagine what the Messiah can give us. They want a king who will overcome Rome, who will set up David's throne in Jerusalem and give them peace and prosperity and milk and honey flowing again. But within one week, these same people, not all, mind you, but most, these same people lining the road, when they start to realize that Jesus isn't going to do that for them, those people crying, Hosanna, on Palm Sunday, you know what they're crying on Friday, don't you? As loud as they can. Crucify Him. Give us Barabbas. Now, before we turn to the second scene in disgust of what we have discovered about the first scene, I'd like to say that I get this. And you and I, honestly need to put a mirror up to our own lives in light of this idea of Jesus being the king you want and I want. You and I both have been guilty of, of wanting the political Jesus, the Santa Claus Jesus, the therapist Jesus, just to name a few. And very often, if we're honest, we'll, we, we would say, you know what we want from Jesus? We just want our personal peace. Jesus, what I really want in life and what I really hope that you would give me is I really want what the guy next door has. I want relationships without investment. I want prosperity without diligence. I want love without having to love and to give. Just give me what I want, Jesus, and I'll keep saying Hosanna. I think if we're honest... Our hearts, mine does, it, it, we traffic in that, particularly in, in, in our culture where we have the ability to have so much. But you know what the problem is with the Jesus in this scenario? That's not the kind of king he is. <laughs> That's not the king he is. That's not the king he wants to be. In fact, he refuses to be that to us. So first is the first scene is the triumphal entry. It's about the, the king you want. But secondly is about the king you need. This is what we call the anointing at Bethany. It is our text. Let me read it again. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he gave a dinner party for they gave a dinner party for him there. Martha served, Lazarus was one of the people relaxing at the table, and Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This idea of Jesus being embraced as the king you need, uh, it's shown to us at a dinner party. It's given in Jesus' honor. Uh, it's at the home, we learn in Matthew's version, the home of Simon the leper, also presumably healed by Jesus. You don't get in close proximity and recline at a table with a leper. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a pretty grace-filled uh, 
dinner. There's Simon the leper, whom Jesus healed. There's Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. And um, there is Martha, the sister of Lazarus, and Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and, of course, uh, the disciples. Uh, This happens at a little town called Bethany. If you were looking at a map of Jerusalem, if you just went almost due east of Jerusalem, a mile and a half, just right past the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and just a stone's throw from there is this little town called Bethany. And... um, Martha, of course, was serving, we learn in the text. And by the way, you know, you remember Jesus, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and, and listened to Jesus, and that was kind of unusual for a woman to sit at the feet of a teacher like that, and Martha was doing what she was supposed to do, which was serving, and Mary has chosen the better part. Mary, Mary's got this way of, of just getting front and center with her heart, before Jesus. Martha is serving, and that's not a bad, um, a negative in this text. Uh, Blessed are you who serve. Lazarus, we learn, is reclining at the table with Jesus. That was the posture of eating. I don't know if I could eat on one elbow, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that's kind of the way they did it. They were reclining, and there was the disciples also in the room. But it's Mary who helps us understand this Palm Sunday, what kind of a king Jesus really is. Mary emerges, let's say, from the back of the house, from somewhere in the house, with a beautiful, beautiful, exquisite alabaster jar. You know, kind of like alabaster, kind of like marble in a way. It's exquisite. And we learn in the text just how exquisite it is. There in the jar is is precious ointment or oil, like a thick oil. Some versions call it spikenard. Um, Scholars say that this spikenard probably came from the Himalayas in modern-day India. Wildly expensive. Wildly expensive. And so here she comes with this beautiful alabaster jar of this precious, precious oil. Now... In those days, uh, it's a little different than our time. People were just dirtier then than they are now. I mean, you know, I mean, most of you take baths or, or showers every day. Maybe some of you don't. I don't know. Um, but one thing for certain is that you definitely wash your feet, and we wear these things called shoes. And they, it keeps our feet from being dirty and grody, and I won't get into Kind of everything that, you know, all that stuff. And um, it's really hot in Israel. And like I said, people, there wasn't air conditioning. So people were just sweating all the time, dirty, dust was flying up everywhere, there wasn't pavement. And, you know, to be honest, people just smelled more than they do probably now. I mean, maybe like going to Europe or something, but worse. <laughs> Why am I going into detail about this? If you've been to Germany, you understand. Why am I going into detail about this? Because that's why you bring out the the precious oil. Because that's why you just kind of drop a little bit onto a, a cloth. You know, just dripping a little bit through a little bitty hole that keeps it from all coming out at one time. And And the fragrance of the precious oil offsets the fragrance in the room 
And it's much more pleasantly aromatic, let's say, to eat dinner. You with me? Okay. You only need a little bit of spikenard or something like it. This is really high-value stuff to accomplish this. Mary comes forward with the alabaster jar. She does not open it and dab a little bit on a cloth and wave the cloth and try to get the, the room smelling better. She breaks the neck of the jar. What do you think that means? That means she's not going to be able to use this again. She's going to pour it all. She breaks the neck of the, alab- of the marble jar because she wants to pour, not drop or drizzle this ointment. She's going to use it all. And the text says that it's worth a year's wages, 300 denarii. I don't know how you... I mean, I've seen all kind of numbers. I've seen minimum wage numbers today. I've seen average salary numbers. Let's just call it $20,000 worth of... In today's money, let's just call it $20,000 worth of, of spikenard, okay? That would be kind of in the middle of, of things that I've seen. $20,000. Probably... Most of her net worth. It's not like Mary's just got money sitting around. But she's got this. This is her most treasured possession. And um, one scholar states, we're used to, and I, I love this, we're used to giving tokens of our affection and love as presents. I mean, when it's somebody's birthday, you don't go to the bank, take 80% of your net worth and give it to the person who you have a birthday, you give them a token of your love, right? So we give, let me go back to the quote, we're used to giving tokens of our affection and love as presents, and it shows that this person means something to us. She gave it all. She broke it, and we learn that she pours it out on his feet, and we learn in Matthew's account that she also anointed his head. Um... The room we read in the text was suddenly just alive with, with this luscious, thick fragrance of spikenard. I mean, those people had never been in a space that smelled that consistently of this sweet oil in this spikenard. It, it was amazing, the, the smell of this. And the text kind of lets us know that. What we know is, is at that moment, Mary is so obviously free of herself and focused on Jesus. That, that, is, that is an unbelievable moment in human experience. That doesn't happen that often. We're just kind of free of ourselves and giving to somebody else. So she pours this on his head, she pours this on his feet, and, and then we learn that she dries his feet with her hair. You know, women had long hair at that time. Um, the Bible's, anyway, women had long hair at that time. And um, now I want you to kind of put yourself in Jesus' position. She breaks it, she pours it, this anointing. And then, like, to have a woman get her hair, long hair down. I mean, that's kind of socially, un- wouldn't that be socially uncomfortable today? I mean, that's kind of just downright intimate. I mean, you know, clean his feet with a towel. Yes, but not your hair. I mean, even today, for somebody who's not your wife to clean your feet with their hair, is kind of over the top. 
It was really over the top in that culture. Women didn't let their hair down. Women kept their hair up. You let your hair down in front of your husband. This was very intimate. And then there's the whole thing about feet. Specifically other people's feet. And the fact that it's kind of beneath a person if they weren't a servant of the house. And Jesus shows that when he washes the feet of the disciples later in the week. But it's kind of beneath someone who's not the servant of the house to, to deal with people's dirty feet. So let's just put all this together for a moment. Mary shows great personal love, giving, love, and respect to Jesus. She lavishes him with this gift of the, of the ointment and she lowers herself to personally dry his feet with her own hair. There is something so direct, so loss of self, something so lavish and something that is very personal and humiliating, lifting up Jesus, showing him to be the, 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 the one that she loves. Now, Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. You can read all about the, the whole thing about Mary and Martha and meeting Jesus and who said what about if you'd only come, he wouldn't have died. And, I mean, they love their brother. And, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead after he was dead three days, after his body began to decay and began to, to smell. There's a lot of smells, I guess, in the New Testament, aren't there? And not only did she love him for raising her brother from the dead, but, you know, Jesus had gone about Israel saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And and Mary had turned from everything else and, and believed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And Mary had a relationship with God through Christ. Mary was forgiven. Mary belonged to the Lord And obviously, Mary had a very full heart when it came to what Jesus had done for her, and she just lavishly gave. Just the opposite of the people lining the streets in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's beautiful. Don't you think that's beautiful? Not everybody in the room that day thought it was beautiful. In Matthew's account, it's the disciples. In this account, it's specifically Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. We learn that, obviously, in the text, too. Judas just rips into Mary after she performs this this loving, humble, intimate act. In verse 4 of our text, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was to betray him, said, Why? Was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, being the treasurer, he used to dip into it and take whatever he wanted for himself, whatever was put into it. So, here we have Mary in this lavish, loving, humble act of adoration and, and, and love. And Judas is just like the people lining the streets. He just wants something out of Jesus. Um, he, he wants real relationship without having a relationship 
with Jesus, without honesty, without transparency. Obviously, he's the one who will betray Jesus. He's the one who's already making moves. Without repentance. And he just wanted money. He kind of, that's kind of akin to, God, Jesus, I want what the guy next door has, but maybe just a little newer model. <laughs> and it is here in the text that Jesus tells them what kind of a king he really is. He is the king who lays his life down for his friends. No, 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 kings don't do that. Everybody goes out and dies on the battlefield for kings. Right, that's right, that's right, not this king. This is a king who will literally, willfully die for his subjects. Jesus says, verse 7, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She is, other translations say, she is actually anointing me, preparing me for my death, for my burial. Now that, that goes to the, the custom of, of taking spices and anointing a, bo- a body and wrapping it. They did that with Jesus' body, you know, when they, when they buried him. This is wildly expensive anointing that you wouldn't do uh, normally. For the poor, verse 8, you have with you always, but you do not always have me. He's not saying don't give money to the poor. What's he saying? He's saying that the one thing that was uppermost on his mind right before he went into Jerusalem, marched, uh, rode in on a donkey with palm branches. What, what is the thing on his mind? The thing on his mind is that he is going to die. He is literally riding in to die. The cross is what's on You will not always have me. She's preparing me for my burial. You see, the king that you need and I need is not the king who comes to grant your three wishes, <laughs> but the king who comes to die for you. That's the king that we need. And when Jesus is the king we need, you do get a lot from him. And he just freely gives it to those who come to him humbly, trust in him, look to him, put faith in him. You do get forgiveness forever. I don't care what it is, you get forgiveness. You do get life that is truly life, life in the Spirit, Eternal life forever. And when Jesus is the king that you need, and not just the king that you want, there, there is a, a sweet smell of grace. And there's this sweet aroma of our own hearts that don't want to just grab from Jesus, but want to give want to lavish, want to love Him intimately and personally and humbly and even humiliation, if necessary, to lift Him up. And you want to give, and He is worth breaking the jar for. He's worth pouring it all. Why? Because He gave it 
all. He drank it all. The cup of God's wrath was broken on the top and Jesus drank it all and he's worth it all. So, as we line the streets, as it were, today to hail King Jesus at the beginning of Holy Week 2014, which Jesus is it for you? Which Jesus do you want it to be? Which Jesus are you looking for? I love how one scholar puts it, the world must forever remember and deal with the one who came riding in on a donkey. There would be no missing him. There would be no ignoring him. And there would never be any forgetting him. J.C. Ryle put it this way, forever let us bless God that the death of our Lord Jesus Christ was so widely known and so public an event. Why was the death of Jesus so widely known and so public an event? I go back to J.C. Ryle. Had he been suddenly stoned in some mob or privately beheaded like John the Baptist or Paul, there would have never been an end to the Jewish and Gentile unbelievers who would have denied that the Son of God died at all. Whatever men may think of the doctrine of Christ's atoning death, they can never deny the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross. And why? Because of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is about the popularization, the focus of not only Jerusalem, but all history upon the cross of Jesus. What was on the heart of Jesus in Bethany at the dinner dinner party was exactly the reason for Jesus drawing the attention of a nation and a world to the cross. And so let's look at Palm Sunday again as Jesus' strategy to show what was in His heart and to help us see and never forget what He did. His kingship simply transcends the fickleness of the people. And the fickleness of our own hearts. So sovereign is he. That it says. That if they didn't cheer. The rocks would. (laughs) The rocks would cry out. Hosanna. That. Is the king we celebrate today. That is. The king. Of kings. The lord. Of lords. The savior. The one and only who died for you and for me. That is why we shout Hosanna today. So let us go forth with the hope and the love, the security, and the power of the King. And let us be fragrant of His grace in our lives. And so stand, please. If you've been here every year, you know we're going to do it. We're going to shout. (laughs) This is 830. That means you have to shout louder, right? Okay, you shout after me. And, and, And shout this to the king you need. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna. Lord, let it be so in our hearts because you are king. 
Let us, Lord, come to You as that King we need. As we give ourselves to You, let us turn loose of ourselves that You might be exalted and that Your power might work within us to lift You up. And we pray all of these things in the matchless name of King Jesus. Amen.